Welcome to Grow Your Dental Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Mohammed Ismail. I'm a cloud accounting expert and a business advisor to dental and medical professionals. My firm, Shift Accounting, has helped our clients reach their financial goals. How do we do this? Well, we offer awesome bookkeeping and business consultancy. Our monthly management reports provide valuable financial insights. These insights can help you improve your profitability and get you to your goal faster. Our goal for the Grow Your Dental podcast is to provide you with valuable resources to help you build, manage, and grow your dental practice. I interview experts in a variety of areas. Whether you are just thinking about starting your own practice or you're already well on your way, there's something for everyone here. We wanted to start the podcast off with a bang, so we released the entire full season so you can get started. We'll be back later this year to continue providing you with valuable insights and expert opinion for starting and managing and growing your dental practice. Enjoy the show. In the last episode, we talked about finding a location and building a business from scratch. In this episode, we're going to focus on buying an existing clinic with our guest, Darren Shanahan, founder of AVL Dental Exit Advisory Services. We are going to talk about a number of topics, including should I build or buy? The hot dental market in Canada. Making an old practice more profitable. The role of a clinic broker. The negotiating process. Who gets involved and what role do they play? What due diligence do you have to think about before proceeding? The ideal transition. We are very excited to welcome our special guest for today's episode, Darren Shanahan. Darren, your name is uh, really well known in the dental and medical community. For the people who don't know you, uh, can you give us a quick intro about you? Thanks, Mohamed. It's so awesome to be here on the podcast. Uh, this is certainly my first uh, on a podcast. So uh, my name is Darren Shanahan. I'm with Avail Dental Exit Advisory Services. Um, essentially, um, I was a 20-year banker uh, who saw a need in the marketplace to enhance the appraisal process and the transition process and absolutely loved working with my medical dental professionals. Uh, we chose dental because we had probably 200 dentists that we'd work with uh, over the years uh, that were on our desk and we absolutely love transitioning and the, the nuances and the details that need to be taken place and, and the, the transition planning that needs to be considered in the process. Uh, we, we loved every bit of it. Our history was in finance and management and change management and leadership. Um, and this was right up our alley. And we've, we're now eight years in and we're loving every minute of it. Wow, that's a really amazing career, right? <laughs> so um, in, in the last episode, we talked about finding a location and building a clinic from scratch. Uh, the process obviously can be challenging, but also rewarding. Uh, but are there instances when uh, buying an existing clinic is a better decision than building from scratch? Certainly what we're seeing right now in the marketplace is there's a lack of supply. So building a practice right now uh, is a very desirable option for a lot of people. Um, certainly it has been over the last 10 to 15 years, especially in somewhere like Calgary. Calgary, Edmonton, some of those communities are experiencing a lot of growth in new communities. So there's 10 to 20 to 30,000 new people in somewhere like Nolan Hill or Beacon Hill or uh, Sherwood Forest, uh, you, you name it, <laughs> around the province. Uh, the province, of course, in recent days has seen a lot less growth in the last couple 
of years, but that's just an economic slowdown at this point in time. Uh, doesn't mean there are not still good possibilities uh, to find and build a practice. Um, certainly from the benefit to the buyer of, of just setting up a practice, uh, you get to set that up exactly the way you want it. Um, that practice is being set up with all the equipment, all the ops in the right direction that you want them in, all the uh, technology that you're looking for to add into your clinic. Um, everything from the software to the imaging to the pan that you choose uh, to the sterilization area, it will all be set up exactly the way you design it for the next 20 years. Uh, so you then just have to staff it <laughs> with the people who are, who are also living your vision as well. Um, you know, it's always the, the push-pull between do I do a startup because I can't find a location or, hey, I found something uh, that's working well and it's an existing cash flow clinic. So it's always that it's that push-pull between I've got existing cash flow in a clinic or I've, I've started up my location in this great locate in this spot that I've wanted to uh, wanted to open up one. Now, coming by those locations, that's where uh, we need our specialists to help us uh, find those locations. So hopefully, uh, you've got one of those on your side. <laughs> that's awesome. So I just want to do a kind of like a follow up question to to this is is there a, you know a few questions that you want uh, a dentist who's trying to make this decision to say you know what here are the three things I need to ask myself to make that decision easier. Should I build or should I buy? I think the first thing you have to ask yourself is, can you handle being that slow? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, mentally, um, our, our dentists are our fantastic educators. They're learners. They, you know, they're self-taught. They're, you know, in many cases, these are always the people we were really jealous of their grades. Um, and, and I still to this day, I'm jealous of, of their study habits. Uh, but basically, you know, to shift down from being a very busy uh, clinician to sitting in a location waiting for patients to come in can be one of the biggest demons uh, that someone struggles with in the first six months. So mentally preparing yourself and maybe you're taking more courses, maybe you're doing more online learning, maybe you're doing your own marketing. You need to fill your brain with things that you need to do to keep that clinic open and running. Uh, the number two thing is don't limit your hours. I think you need to be prepared. Um, from the hours perspective that you can't just be there Monday and Friday or right. Tuesday and Wednesday and that's the only hours that you're available. Optically you've got to look like you're open six days a week. Um, you know even if it's I'm going to work Monday, Wednesday, Friday and then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday the next week at least within that two-week period patients can get in to see you because if I call in as a patient say I'd love to see you on Wednesday and you're like oh sorry we're not open Wednesdays but Wednesday happens to be my day off or my shift I'm probably going to move on. But if you can get me in next Wednesday, that's probably good enough for me. Right, um, right. So making your, and if you can be available, I know not everyone can do it financially, uh, but if you can be available to see patients anytime they need you, uh, obviously we've got after hours service, weekend service. Those are kind of the new, new bankers hours, right, right. the new dental <laughs> hours is, you know, the transition banking took 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago. Dentistry is taking that transition right now. Right. So patients are looking for hours and accessibility. Um, so you've got to be flexible as a new business owner. Uh, probably thirdly, I would say is the 
the financial side. That's the side that people really struggle with. Um, when financially you get tough, that's when things get ugly. Um, whether it's between partnerships or even just you and your spouse, you know, if, you, if things get tight, we all have been there. Money fights are real. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so if we're struggling financially and you haven't built enough cushion into your financial plan to do the startup, um, that can be a real problematic issue for you. Right. So, uh, so I guess uh, n number one, you you, you want to make sure that can you handle being slow. Uh, number two, what's how's your schedule? Can can you it, does your life allow you to kind of work? You know these extended hours if yep. needed. Uh, you know, and and, num and number three is 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 making sure that you can you have the financial stamina. <laughs> right to to kind of get to the finish line <laughs> you got it because it can be a long couple of years right you know until that money starts coming in it can be stressful absolutely absolutely yeah. that's fantastic uh, now you know for uh, for anybody who's in the market you know what should they be considering uh, when they're purchasing the clinic I think one of the biggest things when purchasing a clinic obviously um, you know, obviously, besides cash flow and location and getting a good lease and stuff like that, is making sure that there's a there are procedures that you can do in that clinic. Mm, Sometimes one of the things that's most often overlooked is, hey, that that looks like a great clinic. I love the cash flow of that clinic, but the doctor in there is doing 85 implants. I've only done two implants in my life. So how am I going to either keep that dentist right. on to transition, keep those implants going? Because uh, the biggest thing is to keep your revenue stream going. Absolutely. Right? So if you can't either keep up or do the type of procedures that are being done in there, uh, then that can be problematic for a buyer. Nice. That's probably one of the, what I would call the little hidden gems that people don't look for. Everyone always looks for cash flow, location, right. lease, uh, good hygiene program, retail strip mall, Northwest Calgary. If I had 26 <laughs> of those, we'd sell 26 of those. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's really, really uh, important to look into. Um, so tell me about uh, the current valuation of practices. Uh, maybe you can give me a, a brief description of the process. Yeah, you know what? It's almost like if anyone's ever watched The Big Bang uh, and they're playing 3D chess, uh, doing a valuation is very similar to playing 3D chess because you have to look at the practice from all sides. You almost have to lift it up, turn it on its head, flip it over, and make sure that you're seeing uh, the type of patients that are there, the production, the type of production that's happening. Uh, you know, the, obviously the cash flow is key and the profitability of a practice. Uh, and of course, managing expenses is where you come in. Uh, you know, we, we definitely want to coach our clients to make sure, you know, that they've they've managed their expenses correctly Absolutely. so they don't get hampered further down the line. Uh, further to that, obviously, we need a good lease in place, an extension. Sometimes that's something that gets negotiated through the purchase practice. Uh, but that takes into consideration, that's taken into consideration as well. Location, demographics, uh, new patient flow, hours, availability, equipment, type of equipment, uh, technology, uh, it all rolls down. And once you actually look at our uh, appraisal in the end, it, it looks like a flat document, but you've had to really flip the practice in and upside it on its head uh, in order to figure out where the profitability lies, what the benefits of this practice are, why this practice is special, and then of course, where in the marketplace it compares to recent practice sales. Um, so we look at over the last you know, 10 to 15 practice sales in the you know particular area, and you really have to look and say, okay, what did people pay for those practices um, there's all sorts of rule of thumbs out there mm -hmm. you know in terms of uh, average chart value uh, percentage of gross uh, what I would say is those are 
um, that's what people see on the surface. Interesting. But beyond that are the numbers that kind of make up those. So two practices doing 1.4 million will never be valued the same because they have different equipment, they're at different locations, they have different costs, they have different overhead, they probably have different uh, expense ratios. Um, so ergo, they will be worth a different price. There will be very few times in your career where you will ever see two practices doing 1.4 million that are both worth uh, 1.8 or 1.2. <laughs> Absolutely, wow. Yeah. Um, this is obviously very extensive. T talk to me about the current market conditions uh, at this point. Right now, um, you know, our hot markets in Canada are Toronto is probably number one, Calgary is number two. Uh, behind that would be our Quebec markets, Edmonton, uh, your Vancouver, your Regina, your Winnipeg. So kind of in that order. Um, certainly in the Calgary and Southern Alberta marketplace, it's it's hot. You know, with the introduction of corporate dentistry, uh, small corporations, large corporations, uh, just uh, partners wanting to buy up two or more clinics. Uh, and and then lots of individual people just wanting to own their own clinic. Uh, it's a heated market, um, and it's just getting hotter every day. So, um, so for somebody who's who's new into uh, purchasing a, a, an office, what is your advice for the for for somebody who's trying to purchase? Uh, you know, how can they make this? Um, process easier for them? I, I think you want to be educated in terms of what current practices are going for. Unfortunately, a lot of times when you start getting in and start shopping for something, whether it be a car or a house, you think, okay, well, I can get a deal. And if you certain you walk into this house and you think, okay, well, Jesus has only been on the market for four days. I'm going to offer them 25 grand less. And then the owner tells you, you know, sorry, uh, <laughs> we're going to wait till we get our price on it. Um, you know, understand your current market. You know, right. if practices are selling uh, at a bit of a premium in your area, you need to understand that you can't come in with an offer uh, $200,000 below list price right. and expect to be, uh, I don't know what taken seriously is not the right word, but expect to actually have a chance at buying at it. Um, you know, that's probably the biggest tip I can give to buyers is just make sure you understand that marketplace. And your risk tolerance might say that looks this practice, I wouldn't spend any more than this on it, which is fine. Right. Uh, then that means someone else may pick it up because they've got a different risk tolerance or they have a different skill set or they see things differently as to how they would grow this practice. It doesn't mean that your, you know, your offer is insignificant in the process. It just means that someone values that item more. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, uh, you, you talked about you know having, getting a deal. I think everybody likes to get a deal. You, you know, in my opinion, uh, when if if, if somebody is buying a practice, uh, you know, and you and you look, for example, at their expense ratios, right? Um, in, in my opinion, there's some low hanging fruits. For example, like you know, if some of the ratios are out, out of whack, uh, you look at that practice and say, you know what, as a new dentist, I'm going to come into this practice. I'm going to have, you know, uh, more efficiencies, for example, on my dental supplies, on my wages. Now, do you consider that as low-hanging fruits that somebody can come in and hopefully put in systems in place and make the practice more profitable? Yeah, typically when we see multiple clinic owners looking at practices, they look at that. They look at that and say, okay, well, okay, well, where are the referrals out? Could we keep those in-house? Uh, what are the expense ratios like? Could we uh, create efficiencies? Because they've obviously seen efficiencies in different clinics, right. uh, and they've been able to optimize it in their other clinics, um, and with the help of good advisors around them, kind of keeping <laughs> an eye on those numbers. Um, 
and then of course um, you know in terms of the potential of a practice you know hey look they're not doing any weekends they're not doing any evenings uh, there's no website uh, <laughs> you right, know this right. isn't being offered at this dental clinic so they look at all those things and go okay well that's how I can increase value in this clinic right. um, but you can't always look at it and say okay I need to create value in everything that I'm buying mm -hmm. sometimes it's well optimized clinic uh, right. and it's producing really well and it's got a great bottom line uh, I'm not scared to to buy a clinic like that uh, just because it's already doing well right and it will pay itself off in good due course and it will be a nice asset for me and continue to if, if I don't grow it even a dollar uh, it will still produce a good 20 25 percent maybe 30 percent depending on how efficient the practice is doing uh, bottom line for me which I, I can't make that anywhere else in the market fantastic uh, now talk to me about uh, the, the process of uh, or, or the role of a broker the role of the broker is twofold. We need to do an evaluation, an assessment of the clinic, prepare all the due diligence items that our buyer will be looking for. Uh, so my job is to make sure that you as a buyer come in and I've got everything set up and ready for you. Uh, everything that you're looking for initially so you can make that quick decision. Um, we're obviously working for the seller um, because there's not a dual agency representation. Um, but in terms of the, the governing factors on ours uh, is that the valuation has to stand up to the accountants. It has to stand up to the bankers and the financiers um, and the advisors. So ultimately the governing roles of the, the rest of the industry govern that we can't just come in and say something's worth, you know, 50% more than it actually is worth right. uh, because the bankers and the accountants and the advisors would look at that and go, okay, well, that doesn't make any sense mm -hmm. uh, based on this current marketplace. Right. Now, uh, you know, talk to me about the, the you know, the, the fun part, the negotiation part. Like, yeah. Give me a little bit behind the scenes. What happened? So people, the listeners to this podcast kind of, you know, have a visual of what exactly that yeah. process looks like. Uh, so typically there's usually showings. Uh, multiple people are brought to the clinic, not at the same time. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, and, and they get to walk through the clinic and see the, the basic details of the clinic and go, oh, geez, you know what? I really like this. So let's put an offer in. Uh, offers are usually taken to a certain time frame, depending on whether it's a weekend or an evening. Um, Usually is uh, four to five days that people have a chance to look over uh, the practice information, put the initial offer in. Obviously, financing is pending approval, lease assignments pending approval, uh, due diligence. They still need to do that. But this is just an initial offer that they're putting in on the practice to say, kind of slide the napkin across the table saying, yeah, I'm willing to pay $1.2 for this practice. Um, I'm interested in less starting. Mm -hmm. Once they then all the offers are kind of put together, then we go over it with the seller. So, you know, where are the strengths of the different offers? It's no different than looking at a real estate offer saying, okay, well, there's no conditions on this one. You never see, you very seldom in dental see no conditions. Right. Um, you still need, uh, you know, an inspection, yeah. <laughs> which is the due diligence period. Um, so we expect all of that, you know, to, to be for it. But sometimes in those deals, it, it's about how long, they, they're prepared to let the owner stay on or how quickly they're prepared to transition the new owner out because uh, those intrinsic items in a practice sale they're going to be things like the transition you know and maybe that doctor wants to stay on two days a week for the next two years uh, or maybe they're good to stay on for five years full time um, so then you're looking for a buyer who says you know I want you to stay on for five years versus someone in a case where I want to take you out in 30 days. Um, so every deal is just exactly like a root canal. You know where you start, you know where you end, but the roots are going to take you in a different direction. So 
know, what we kind of classify as the roots of a transaction is what that transition is going to look like. And then sometimes it needs to be a match between that buyer and that seller in order to make that move forward. Uh, one of the big processes we put in place years ago uh, was just that doctors have to talk to doctors. Right. You know, at the end of the day, uh, we may just be uh, valuing and brokering and working through the negotiations of the different nuances of a deal. But at the end of the day, you have to have two people who are like-minded in their idea of the transition in order for this to be successful. Interesting. That's, yeah. that's really interesting. Now, um, uh, who, who are the people should be involved in this sale process? Obviously, like, you, know, you mentioned accountants, lawyers. Can you just uh, briefly go over each each one's roles. Sure. Um, you know, every, when we're looking at new buyers and prepping them for, you know, getting ready to put offers in, we want to make sure they've got a good accountant who understands the dental marketplace because they're going to be able to then review the appraisal, review the financials, uh, review the tax returns, the T4s, everything that they need to do, is if, especially if it's a share sale deal, um, you know, there will be a few more items that they're going to have to get into uh, to make sure it's clean enough for that purchaser to take ownership of those shares. Um, we look Look at our uh, legal teams. We want the same thing. We want them to understand the nuances of the marketplace. You can't be looking. You know, you can't have a, a lawyer that says, "Well, we need to have a hundred-kilometer uh, restrictive covenant," <laughs> when the typical in the area is five kilometers, right? right? So right. things like that. So you need to have them have a solid understanding of the marketplace, so they can go, "Okay, well, that's a reasonable risk to take in this marketplace." You know, that's a reasonable request. That's a reasonable ask. Right. Um, from the perspective of the bankers, obviously the bankers going to be doing the due diligence as well. They don't want to be the ones holding the keys to this place at the end. So they're going to be assessing you and the practice. They want to assess, assess the buyer and their company and management and their ability to lead and manage a dental team and their of course, their courage and fortitude right. is very difficult to measure. Um, and then the financial side of it as well, they want to make sure this practice is going to pay off um, and that they're not actually going to then drive this practice into the ground because they want to take it from six days a week to three days a week. <laughs> not a great business plan. Unless you're going to put an associate in those other three days. That's that's going to make a banker very nervous, right? right? right. Uh, so that bankers and their risk managers are going to then mitigate that risk for you as well. Um I would say your equipment reps uh, will likely be there through the process to make sure the equipment's working properly. Uh, you know, a lease rep in there to make sure that the lease negotiation goes well right. um, and that you're getting the additional terms and are these good market rates and, and what terms can I live with on this because this is going to be your home for the next uh, 10 to 20 years because uh, you don't want to have to move your practice. So those are the probably the key people um, in your due diligence process and in your negotiations that you're going to need to have on your side. That's good. So um, is a second opinion necessary from your perspective? Um, oftentimes, the individuals that you have, depending on their their depth and understanding of the, of the dental industry, um, they will likely be your governance on this. But if you do need a second opinion, we've actually been brought in on second opinions, and we encourage clients who are looking at our appraisals, feel free to go get a second opinion on this. Um, you know, obviously, everything's pretty clearly laid out as to why we feel the value is the value. Mm -hmm. um, and we're, we look at things the same way we look at another appraisal and say you know let's help you to determine make sure you know we'll work as your advisor in that case if you're looking right. at something that's maybe not through us and we'll look through and say okay well how does this match up to what you're looking at absolutely now in terms of uh, you're doing a lot of uh, a lot of work to you know provide this valuation now uh, the buyer what due diligence should the that should the buyer perform 
Yeah, essentially, um, hopefully we provided everything in terms of the reports and the uh, procedures by code for the last three years. Uh, you want, you know, you want to get in there and actually look deeper into those procedure reports and say, yeah, they did 15 crowns last year, they did 100 crowns last year, can I do that? Uh, the type of, you know, they're doing laser dentistry in here, can I do that? You want to make sure that the type of patient that you're going to be treating is the type of patient that you can actually treat. So you right. don't want to get in and find out uh, this is a huge amalgam removal clinic when you still believe in amalgam uh, as a good solution and then you're philosophically at odds with the type of dentistry that's going on there. Uh, a good chart audit's good. You know, you don't need to go through absolutely every chart in a clinic to determine whether or not um, the type <laughs> of dentistry is the type of dentistry, but auditing some of the charts and getting through the schedule. You know, you want to look at the schedule. You want to see exactly, you know, can I do, these guys are dovetail. There are two ops here. Right, right. Can I work that quickly? You know, I've always worked in one op. Right. Uh, I've never worked out of two. Um, can I do that at the very basic size? Is ortho being provided in that clinic? So you want to get in sort of beyond the financials and the meat and potatoes that you see on the plate and kind of get into how the practice operates and works and, and manages. Uh, you know, even just in terms of how it's staffed up on a Thursday night. Is that going to work for you? Yeah, oh, this is uh, this is really good. So, uh, talk to me a little bit about the transition. Okay, um, what is an ideal transition? How do you make the transition as smooth as possible? I think one of the people, one of the things that people tend to overlook in a transition is the team. Mm -hmm. And much like a rubber band, you know, when you stretch that rubber band uh, and it snaps, you probably moved it a little too quickly. Uh, but if you take that rubber band and move it slower and stretch it slower, it will probably stretch to be longer. So I equate that to a transition in terms of how you also do change management for your staff as That's well. Awesome. Um, you don't want to snap that staff into being like, okay, so now we're going to be open Saturdays. Now we're going to be open Thursday nights. Now and they're all freaking out uh, because, number one, they don't know if they're going to have a job. That is the number one fear for all staff. You get in and reassure the entire team. I value you. You are part of the goodwill. No disrespect to the doctor in the in the situation, but the front end, the hygienist, the assistants, they all have goodwill in that practice. And if you go in, gut the practice of staff, and patients come into a team of a new doctor and a new hygienist and a new receptionist, they're coming into a brand new clinic. Absolutely. So you want to keep those staff as long as you can, because even if a twenty, I don't. I'm not scared of a twenty-year staff member because I'm not worried about the severance on that. My bigger concern is that I can't keep her happy <laughs> and have him or her stay, uh, because obviously the patients like them, the staff like them. We're all going to have our quirks. We're never going to find a perfect staff member. But right. if that staff member's been there twenty years and they happen to have a troll doll collection in the back door, <laughs> and you don't like troll dolls, uh, I can guarantee you the patients already know. You know that individual uh, has a has a love for troll dolls. Right, <laughs> That's an extreme true. circumstance, obviously. <laughs> but I use that to kind of illustrate the point that right. this is likely a, a, an employee that your patients connect with, and they probably know. Oh, you pay with Mastercard. Oh, your son life. Oh, tell me about your children. Oh, did they graduate this year? You know those connecting pieces to you and your patients. Uh, those are the fingers of your practice that are reaching out to your patients on a day-to-day -day basis. So Absolutely. you want to make sure the staff... Uh, and your patients see as little change as absolutely possible. Um, and if you can, if there's any way to facilitate it, and you can have the previous owner, Dr. Bob, standing in the back in a cutout waving to the patients, the more you can make it seem like Dr. Bob is around, 
the better, obviously. That is an awesome idea, guys. Yeah. You, know, you, you heard it. <laughs> <laughs> We're working with a firm to get cutouts done uh, and a voiceover so they can say, oh, hi, so-and-so. <laughs> yeah. You guys may, you gotta make sure that this is part of your transition plan, guys. Yeah, yeah. It's another side business we're working on. Yeah, <laughs> but the le- the less your patients can see a change, uh, the better. That doesn't mean you're not going to make changes, right? Right. But the more optically. Uh, the same that practice even that practice you look at it and go okay well these are old chairs I don't like the old chairs it is the buyer that doesn't like the old chairs it's, it's me it's the dent you know it's the right. broker that comes in so that's an old chair but that patient's been sitting in there for 20 years absolutely absolutely so don't necessarily feel the need and you definitely want to upgrade and keep that but you you don't want to be shocking your patients with uh, five new ops of equipment just because you want it to be optically uh, you know the way you want it right. you know you're going to want to gradually make some of those changes and integrate obviously integrate your digital integrate your computers integrate all the technology you want in there and then over time you're going to want to change out your chairs that are not working uh, but you don't want to shock your patients you know if hey we're doing a big renovation coming up then that's that's fine but you kind of your patients know that there's a renovation coming up and that you're investing in their health absolutely yeah. absolutely Wow, uh, Darren, this is, was amazing, amazing information. Thank you so much for doing this with us. We'll talk soon. It was always a pleasure. I look forward to chatting with you again, and uh, maybe we'll come back for round two. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us today on Grow Your Dental Practice podcast. I'd like to thank our corporate partner, Zero. A beautiful accounting software. We use Zero for all our clients and they love it. If you'd like to know more information on myself or Shift Accounting, you can head directly to our website, shiftacct.com. You can visit the blog, sign up for our newsletter, or reach out to me directly at mohammed at shiftacct.com. Thank you. <laughs>